Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. I'd like to call the regular meeting of October 11, 2023 to order and ask our Mayor Pro Tem Gamble to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. Please rise and join me in the pledge. I pledge, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Roll call, please. Mayor Holloway? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Gamble? Here. Councilmember Beal? Here. Councilmember Figueroa? Here. Councilmember McGurr? Here. Thank you. Item 1, schedule of future events. Item 1.1 and 1.2, I'll pass this over to our city manager. Thank you very much, Mayor Holloway and members of the city council. We would like to announce that on Saturday, October 14th, the city of Rancho Santa Margarita will be hosting a free electronic waste disposal and document shredding event. The event will take place from 8 a.m. to noon at Applied Medical's R100 building parking lot, which is located at 29977 Avenida de las Banderas. This event is open to everyone that would like to properly discard their old electronic items. Items that will be accepted include monitors, television sets, mouse keyboards, cables and cords, computers, printers, hard drives, shredders, cell phones, power supplies, telephones, laptops, servers, DVDs and VCRs, copiers and fax machines. We will not be able to accept sharps, kitchen appliances, batteries, smoke detectors or fluorescent tubes. This is also a document shredding event, and it's a great time to get rid of all of those old documents that you no longer need. Please bring your paper records and documents in a standard size file box. The documents will be shredded on site at no cost. There is a limit of 10 boxes per household and or business. Coming up next on Tuesday, October 31st, the city will be participating in Sam Lark's Halloween Family Festival. The event will take place from 2 to 5 p.m. at Central Park. There will be trick-or-treating, costume contests, bounce houses and inflatables, child and pet costume parade, music, games, and food vendors. For more information, please visit samlark.org or call 949-709-4006. Thank you. Thank you. Item 2, presentations and proclamations. We are honored now to receive a presentation from the Orange County Sheriff's Department Behavioral Health Bureau. And at this time, I'd like to invite forward Captain Jason Ivins and Sergeant Dustin Fike with the Orange County Sheriff's Department to provide a pre brief update to the council. Or not brief, as long as you want to go. Well, hopefully it's brief. Well, thank you, Mr. Mayor and City Council members for allowing us to uh, present this brief presentation. Uh, so I'm going to go over a brief overview of our Sheriff's Behavioral Health Bureau. We uh, have rebranded our names uh, Behavioral Health Bureau after a long time of being a homeless liaison office. So it's, it's basically the same thing. It's just a rebrand. So. so our current staffing consists of uh, myself, three sergeants, along with uh, Sergeant Fike here, nine uh, deputy sheriffs and two perk clinicians there and they are uh, employees of the healthcare agency so what we do is we assist patrol operations and during mental, during mental health crisis i'll just keep going it's turned off um, 
and for people experiencing mental health crisis and during critical incidents. So that includes SWAT calls, uh, people who are attempting suicide, and, and those types of high stress calls. So we also assist people with navigating the mental health process and homelessness uh, resources. And we collaborate with different county entities, including probation and the court system to help people get through um, their legal issues without the, the traditional, you're going to jail, and what doesn't work, what we've seen doesn't work. So, so this is our team, basically. We consist of a crisis intervention training team, co-responder units, uh, mobile crisis team, and case management teams. So um, the sheriff thought it was a great idea for us to start uh, teaching a crisis intervention training to all our deputy sheriffs. And some of us went through crisis intervention training with the old Golden West College program. When Golden West College shut down the program, we took it over. And now we're teaching, uh, you can see some of, the, uh, some of the things we teach up there, uh, introduction to mental illness. And this is taught to every deputy sheriff in, in Orange County. Uh, suicide by cop, uh, introduction to the LPS system, uh, 5150's understanding what uh, constitutes a 5150 hold, uh, strategic uh, communication and de-escalation. That's a big, uh, big thing for us is de-escalation. And uh, verbal intervention strategies. That's your old verbal, we used to call it verbal judo. So, like I said, all of our deputy sheriffs have been trained in, in crisis intervention level one. We have uh, intermediate and advanced crisis intervention also. That involves uh, another 32 hours of training where we're actually putting the deputies with actors in our village and they're talking through these scenarios. So it's, it's live actors and some of the people have lived experiences with mental health crisis, so they are, they're, they're a great resource for being actors. So I'm going to, so a lot of people ask about our uh, PERT teams, our co-responder teams. This is um, one of the biggest changes we've had. Um, we've always had a PERT team. I was a, I was a PERT ride-along deputy back in the day when I worked in San Juan Capistrano, and we had PERT clinicians riding with us, but it was never full-time. Now we have two full-time clinicians from the healthcare agency going out to calls with us and doing follow-up calls too. So we're using them to relieve the patrol deputy is the responsibility of having to sit at the hospital and take people in for evaluations. And then the follow-up is where we spend a lot of our time, as you can see uh, on your guys' stats here in Rancho Santa Margarita, we did 30 follow-ups uh, year to date, totaling 23 hours and 54 minutes of time that we're not, that you're, we're freeing up your deputy sheriffs to go do uh, proactive police work. So here's some more stats from year to date. Uh, we've had uh, our BHBs have done uh, 23 ESRI FIs, and if you guys are familiar with our homeless dashboard, uh, that is what populates the homeless dashboard is when we put in those ESRI um, interviews. Uh, new subject profiles, we only have six. So those 23 prof uh, FIs, 
are probably those six people. We're just doing them multiple times. It's the same person. So you don't have 23 new homeless people. You have six people that have been identified and were interviewed. And we just keep, every time, we'll just do a new interview with them. So you look at those other numbers, assigned CAD, observed CAD, and the dispositions on homelessness. Now, that is, a lot of it has to do with calls for service. You guys, your deputies going out and interacting with homeless individuals, and it's probably the same six or three or one getting that, that caused a lot of your calls, right? Your high utilizer calls. And so that their dispositions on the end of their call is homeless related, mental health related, or both. So those are big numbers, but it doesn't mean that that's how many homeless people are living in your city. So uh, total calls related to homeless and mental health, 850 year to date. So that's Rancho? in Rancho. Yes, sir. So year to date. How, that is how the deputies are dispositioning the calls at the end. So if they, if they deem that it's a mental health or a homeless related call, that's what we do. Just keep track of the, the problem here. So, and it's, it's not your city so much, but it's, you know, the South, South Spa. So, and, and we're keeping track of that in case we need to get a, a shelter one day. So another uh, source we rely on is our CAT team. Uh, they will come out and do uh, 5150 evaluations. They will transport for us. Um, they will do follow-ups for the Sheriff's Department. And um, this is, they're all licensed clinicians just like our PERT team. And they will come out after hours when the PERT, PERT deputies aren't working. So behavioral health liaisons, these are the old um, homeless liaisons. We just, like I said, we, we changed their names. Um, since uh, 2021, we have put all of our behavioral health liaisons through a 40-hour advanced uh, BHL course, and we uh, collaborate with a lot of entities within the county. Um, it's, it's training, it's ongoing training, and this includes our training that we do monthly. So some of the things we talk about is uh, addressing individuals with autism, de-escalation, that's ongoing with, with our, with our uh, training bureau and crisis negotiation team, behavioral threat assessments with, the, with our OCAIAC, uh, behavioral and mental health issues with the healthcare agency, and trauma-informed care and uh, psychosis, schizophrenia. Those are just some of the topics that we train on monthly. So our approach to uh, homelessness with the Orange County Sheriff's Department is uh, based on uh, recent case decisions, mainly uh, Martin versus Boise, and uh, we focus on not criminalizing homelessness, illegal camping, loitering in public, where there's no shelter option, and that's what we're up against here in the South Spa. This doesn't forbid the department for enforcing non-status, so if they're, if they're breaking the law, we're still going to, we're going to take enforcement action, whether it's a citation or going to jail. Uh, status violations defined anti, of anti-camping, anti-loitering, and trespassing ordinance in public locations. So basically, we can't enforce certain status violations. So as if you guys are familiar with the Martin versus Boise case, it, we can't criminalize homelessness without giving them an option. So 
uh, factors governing a homeless population, obviously Martin versus Boise, the Catholic workers and uh, Ramirez settlement that happened on the heels of cleaning up the um, riverbed in, in Anaheim, if you guys are familiar with that, back in 2017 when we had to clear out and they, there were some lawsuits that came from that. Um, and that basically says that we can enforce status violations if, if we have a, a shelter to take them to. So, and that's, that's the key thing is, is the shelter option. We have to give them shelter option. And unfortunately, we don't have one here in South County. And the last thing ruling our, our decisions are, is our department policy on this. So I think that's all my time. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you. Hold on. Um, any questions or comments from the council? No. Mayor Pro Tem. Can you clarify for the public the difference between having a shelter bed and compelling a homeless person to take advantage of the shelter bed? Yeah, we can we can compel them to take a shelter bed all day long. However, if we don't have one in our service provider area, um, I can't force someone to, to go with us. But if they're willing to accept a bed, yes, we will drive them to an available bed in one of the central and north spas. Well, if they're willing to accept the bed. Correct. We can't pick them up and just say, congratulations, you're, you're going to a shelter. Correct. Until we have a shelter here in, in the south spa, we can't enforce those those violations. But once we do, hey, if you don't if you don't accept this shelter bed that we have available to you, then they can be cited for the camping ordinances and the loitering ordinances. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Councilmember Beal. Thank you for your presentation. Um, the personnel in the Behavioral Health Bureau in your first substantive slide, you got. 15 officers and clinicians in this bureau, correct? Are those, um, that's countywide, and so is that correct? Um, and that those individuals would be responding to needs in each city throughout the county? That's correct. As needed. Yes. Do those officers also respond to calls that are, you know, other types of criminal activity that don't fall under this purview, or is this exclusively what these individuals do? Our, our main focus is behavioral health, so mental health crisis and homeless. However, if a, a priority call comes out, uh, we're deputy sheriffs at the end of the day. We're going to respond to those calls. Uh, several of my deputies responded to the Cook's Corner shooting recently. Um, we're, we're still going to help out regular patrol where, where needed. And if, and if we're not inundated with calls and we're not doing follow-up um, investigations, we are helping out patrol. So we're, we're augmenting the, the patrol staff. Thank you for that. And on the slide that showed the number of calls in Rancho Santa Margarita, the 850 number, how, how many individuals did you say, did I hear like six or eight individuals are making up, making up the vast majority of that 850 calls? Well, homeless... If, if they deem it homeless-related, yeah, it's probably your high-utilizer calls, the, the constant, hey, we, got, we have someone camping in front of our business. Can you guys clear them out? It's, it's a lot of repeat calls, and those, those people take up a lot of your resources. From your standpoint, is this the most efficient way for all of us as a society to allocate resources to have your team responding is there something that would be more efficient uh, than having members of the sheriff's department doing it? Well, at, at least 
we have resources to offer people. Um, whether they take them or not, that's up to them. Um, is it the most efficient? It's, it's right now it's the best we can do as far as um, getting the regular deputies assigned to Rancho Santa Margarita freed up from there from having to respond to these calls. Got it. So. Thank you for your presentation. Thank you for your service. Appreciate all you did. Thank you, sir. Councilmember Figueroa. Again, thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, you know, we all know that the mental health crisis during COVID, you know, really grew everywhere throughout the whole country. Um, are we finally seeing those numbers decline now that we're, you know, a couple years away from that? Has that improved, I guess? What I'm uh, I, don't, I don't think it has. Um, I think we're doing more uh, follow-up on mental health crisis than ever. And since... It, it's been such an issue that they have allocated nine more positions to my my bureau. Um, right now, I'm trying to fill those positions, but um, yeah, I don't see it slowing down. Especially, so with, especially is it getting worse then? Than with those with the substance abuse disorders, yes. Okay, it's it's getting worse. That's sad. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much for, for what you do. And just to piggyback on, on Tony a little bit, I I do look at the same statistics here, and I'm, I marvel at these numbers. I would not have thought that our residents was dialed the phone for homeless issues 850 times, which we kind of pride uh, that our residents see something, say something, that approach. Kind of going back on that again, I mean, that's 850 calls your dispatchers are uh, having to deal with. Um, is that, are these numbers fairly typical for a city percentage-wise, or are we higher than most? in terms of calls for service. Yeah, I'd like to clarify. So that 850, those could be double-statted, meaning they went to a call at a residence and they were, they deemed it to also be a homeless and also a mental health case. So we, some of those numbers are skewed because it could be double-statted in the same situation. So <clears throat> most of your calls are gonna be mental health related and that is actually not necessarily corresponding with homeless. I just wanted to clarify it because I, I saw there was some confusion with that. Mainly what is happening is most of those mental health calls are when people are going to residence related to people that are not homeless. A lot of those are actually at mm. a residence, not, not the six to eight homeless subjects that we come in contact on a regular basis. Those are different. I just want to make sure I clarify that. Oh. As far as the numbers are concerned, uh, Lake Forest and Mission Viejo, they're about three to four times higher than your guys' calls for service. Mm. I, I run those numbers. I actually oversee the Southeast mm. uh, Behavioral Health Unit, and that's why I wanted to come up here just to clarify that. Um, I've been actually, I know Rancho very well. I was here for five years as a patrol deputy, so I have a good understanding of how the city runs. And uh, overall, I mean, you guys are doing a great job as always. I mean, since I've been here back in 2010 to 2015, so sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to clarify that. No, I'm glad you did. No, every one of our calls has to be dis disposed at the end of the call, either homeless or non-homeless, mental health or non-mental health. So the deputies have to check a box. Along these lines, what can we do as residents to make your job easier slash better in reference to what you're trying to do? What can we put on social media to our residents that would might help you do what you're trying to do here, uh, which just, is admirable? Just be supportive and know that we're we're not ignoring the problem. If you have a problem, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna send a deputy out. We're gonna send a clinician out. We're going to give them the best treatment and resources we have available at the time. So, okay. The, the county mm -hmm. is providing a lot of resources to, uh, especially mental health uh, individuals right now. So, they're, 
The resources are out there. We just need to help people take advantage of them. This is this is a permanent program or temporary or permanent program. Permanent, wonderful, great. Yeah, it's it's only growing. Right, right. Thank you so much. We appreciate what you do. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Council. Well, I'd like to invite the Mayor Pro Tem up the dais with me. We have some certificates of recognition to give. We have a business recognition program that we're very proud of, and every council meeting would like to recognize uh, some of our long-standing businesses, and tonight we're going to recognize La Tida Beglery and Grill. I'd like to invite forward Johnny Kakar, the owner. Come on up, Johnny. How many of you have ever been to La Tida? Raise your hand. Of course you have. <laughs> Had breakfast there? Yes. The only question we hear about you is when you're going to get bigger, because <laughs> I have to wait in line to have that great food. But uh, have a wonderful business. Let me talk a little bit about this this wonderful business. The mission of Ladida is simple. We've always known that quality and customer service is, which is why we go the extra mile for our customers. We cater to the community's needs and put a lot of love and energy into our menu, as we all know. La Dida is known for their great service and friendly staff. La Dida offers a wide selection of breakfast and lunch items, including traditional breakfast options, hot and cold sandwiches, burgers, wraps, and salads, all at an affordable price. La Dida's hometown cafe-style ambiance and dog-friendly outdoor patio dining make it a fat favorite for locals and those traveling through Rancho Santa Margarita looking for a friendly, independent restaurant experience that is delicious, convenient, and casual. Now, therefore, on behalf of our city staff, our city council, the people here at this meeting tonight, and all of our residents, we'd like to congratulate you on this wonderful accomplishment. Thank you so much for having your business here. Before you go... Could we, could we talk just a little bit about your business and how, how it came to be? Sure. So my, I grew up in the restaurant business back in Kentucky. So when my parents moved out here, I stayed in college over there at Transylvania University. And then um, so my, when, I, when my wife and I got married in t Tennessee, we moved out here and for a visit. And then when we came here, we loved the weather here. So <laughs> I told my wife, we've got to move here, and we're going to raise our kids here. So we bought our, our daughter, which she's with us right now. Uh, she went on to graduate at El Toro High School and went out to Yale University. So we, oh, and then we had two more kids, and they're both in college now. Right. One is going to UCLA, and the other one is going to UC Davis. So they're, and we're all local here. You know, We decided they, they didn't have a good breakfast here, so my brother and I decided to open a business here. And it was at the time, in 2007, when the recession was coming in. 
So I was like, oh my God, we're crazy opening a, a restaurant <laughs> in this time. We thought it was gonna go down, but my brother and I worked hard in it. We kept it in there, you know, we kept working day and night all day long. So we put all the time and energy into it. And now it's doing really well. It's been, uh, I believe, uh, <laughs> I almost forgot, it's about 14, 15 years now. So, and then we open another one. Uh, it's a Beamer's in Laguna Niguel. Oh, okay. So yeah. I have that restaurant also. And then it grew so much, so I opened up a plumbing business now. <laughs> so <laughs> we come here to the city all the time to get our permits for uh, oh, okay. residents here to put in uh, water heaters yeah. and things like that. So I appreciate the city and you guys. You guys have been great with us. So uh, we love the community here. And we love cooking good food and homemade food, and it's fresh every day. So, uh, so I'm glad uh, to be service here. All right. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. With two kids in college, we have to go. We got to. We got to keep you going. <laughs> Great. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. The month of October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I'd like to invite forward Deborah Griffiths. Deborah, come on up. Let's hear it for Deborah. Bear with me on this. There's a lot of detail, a lot of information we want to pass along to everybody. October is annually recognized as a National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and domestic violence programs in California provide essential life-saving services for survivors, their children, and communities. Approximately 40% of California women experience physical, intimate partner violence in their lifetimes, and women 18 to 24 years of age are significantly more likely to be survivors of physical, intimate partner violence than women in other age groups. Domestic violence affects people of all genders, sexual orientation, ages, racial, ethnic, cultural, social, religious, and economic groups in the United States and here in California. Domestic violence is a third leading cause of homelessness among families in the United States and has a significant economic impact on women throughout the country. An estimated 8 million days of paid work is lost because of domestic violence. Domestic violence costs $8.3 billion in expenses annually, a combination of higher medical costs and lost productivity. Children exposed to domestic violence can experience long-term consequences, including difficulty at school, substance abuse, behavioral problems in adolescence, and serious adult health problems. Domestic violence shelter programs served 18,000 individuals 
in shelters and served 110,000 individuals through non-shelter supportive services. There are 87 domestic violence-related homicides in California in 2020, of which 70 of the fatalities were female and 17 were male. 7% of all homicides in 2020 were domestic violence-related. Now, on behalf of the City Council of the City of Rancho Santa Margarita, we do hereby proclaim October 2023 as National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, recognizing the vital role that all Californians can play in preventing and one day ending domestic violence. Could you give us a, a few more words about this, please? Well, like I said, it does affect a lot of people. And I know I'm a survivor myself, primarily due from gaslighting. And I know that 46 million women and 38 million men have at least admitted to being gaslighted. So on behalf of all the survivors and the victims, thank you for this proclamation and for recognizing this month as Awareness Month. It goes a long way to stopping the violence. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Let's hear give a round of applause. This is Orange County Fire Authority Fire Prevention Week, week of October 8, 14, 2023. I'd like to invite forward OCFA Division Chief Shane Mall to come on up. Hi, Shane. Let's do it again for the fire. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me read the proclamation here, and then we'll hear from Shane. Fire is a serious public safety concern, both locally and nationally, and homes are where people are at greatest risk for fire. Cooking is the leading cause of house fires and injuries in the nation, causing nearly half of all home structure fires. More than 3,000 Americans unfortunately die in fires each year. Work, working smoke alarms in the home can reduce the risk of dying in a fire by more than half. An average of 358,000 homes experience a structural fire each year. These fires result in seven deaths every day. More than a third of home fire deaths occur in homes with no smoke alarms. And the risk of dying in reported home structure fires is 55% lower in homes with working smoke alarms. Orange County residents are responsive to public education and outreach measures and can take personal steps to increase their safety from fire, especially in their homes. The 2023 Fire Prevention Week theme, Cooking Safely Starts With You, Pay Attention to Fire Prevention, effectively serves to remind us to educate everyone about simple but important actions they can take to keep themselves 
and those around them safe from cooking fires. Therefore, on behalf of the City Council of the City of Rancho Santa Margarita, we do hereby proclaim October 8th through the 14th, 2023, as Fire Prevention Week and urge Orange County residents to practice safe cooking habits. Stay in the kitchen while cooking, remove items from around the stove that can catch fire, and support the many public safety activities and efforts of Orange County Fire Authority during this Fire Prevention Week. Shane, would you give us a little bit more information? Sure, I'd love to. Do that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, and Council. Uh, thank you all for being here. Um, as it says in here, cooking safety starts with you, but really all fire safety and fire prevention starts with you. It's a team effort between, obviously, us at the Orange County Fire Authority and you as the residents. We can go out and we do our inspections. We have our fire prevention team that goes out and works. We work with the cities and code enforcement to make sure you guys are safe from fires, but really, it's a team effort. We really need you guys to help us. This year, we're focusing a lot on cooking safety. So please, you know, make sure when you're cooking, don't leave your food unattended. Tons of fires. I've been on many, many fires where people just left for a few minutes and their kitchens caught fire. So please be safe and, and make sure you monitor that stuff. But really, the two big things I really wanted to point out was the, the smoke alarms, as was, was talked about. Please make sure you have smoke detectors in your homes. Every home should have smoke detectors. I have a ton of them throughout my house. Um, and make sure not only that you have the smoke detectors, but they're only as good as the battery inside. Test them often and make sure you switch those batteries, they say, every six months. Some of the batteries are lasting longer, but it's good practice to switch them out every six months. And then one other thing that I like to tell people about is um, the idea of closing your door when you go to bed at night, your bedroom doors. If you have kids, please close their bedroom doors. Reason for this being that that will save them in a fire and give them a chance to survive the fire. It's not typically the fire that gets people. It's typically the smoke and the hot gases that get them. And I can tell you from experience on a lot of fires that you can go into a house and the entire house is torched from fire. And you'll come to a room where the bedroom door is closed and you open the room and it looks like this. It's pretty incredible. And not only does that save portions of your house, but truly, if somebody's sleeping in that room, that gives that person the chance to hear the smoke detector going off, remember their plan to get out of their house and get out. So please be safe while you're cooking. Make sure your fire, um, your uh, smoke detectors, I forgot what it's called. Smoke detectors work, and please close your doors at night. But thank you so much. Appreciate fire you partnering with us. And yes, yeah. have, have, I got all new fire extinguishers in my home this month. I feel really good. Or you cannot have a cooking accident, and you could just go to Lachi Da Bakery. I like that I plan a lot better. I would say, yeah, let's hear for yeah. good food. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, thank you very much. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
All right, moving on. Item three, public comments. This is the time to address the City Council on any matter not listed on this agenda that is within the subject matter jurisdiction of the City Council. <clears throat> Excuse me. Public comments are limited to three minutes per person and a time limit of 15 minutes for this segment of the public comments portion of the agenda. Do we have any public comments? We have none. We do not. Thank you. Item four, con consent calendar. All matters on the consent calendar are to be approved in one motion unless a council member, staff, or member of the public requests a separate action on a specific item on the consent calendar. Any items to be removed? Seeing none, I have a motion. I'll move the consent calendar. I'll second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Motion carries unanimously. Item five, public hearing items, 5.1. Fifth public hearing and second reading and adoption of ordinance number 2302, adding sections 2.01.080 and 2.01090 to chapter 2.01 of title two of the city of Rancho Santa Margarita Municipal Code, implementing by district elections of council members from four council districts, establishing boundary lines Therefore, with the mayor elected at large. I'll pass this over to the city attorney. Great. Thank you, Mayor Holloway, members of the city council. Once again, this is the time and place scheduled for the fifth and final public hearing to consider public input regarding the city's ongoing process of transitioning from at large to district-based elections. As the council recall, at the September 27th city council meeting, the council selected final map number 113 determine the sequencing for district elections and introduce for first reading a proposed ordinance to implement by district elections of council members. The staff recommendation this evening is that the council conduct the fifth public hearing and then approve for second reading and adopt ordinance number 23-02, which is in your packet this evening. As always, the city's retained demographer, Dr. Justin Levitt with National Demographics Corporation is once again present this evening. If there are any questions regarding final map number 113 or any other maps that have been considered thus far throughout this process. This concludes my presentation. Thank you very much. Any questions for staff of council? We have no questions. We will open the public hearing and receive public testimony. We have seven e-comments and one walk-in comment. The first e-comment is from Beth Hurd. Beth says, although I oppose Rancho Santa Margarita be being divided into voting districts, I want to express my sincere gratitude to the city council members for choosing map 113. Your decision to choose map 113 allows for each RSM voter to have at least two voting opportunities instead of limiting residents to having only one voting opportunity. The city council's commitment to selecting a fair solution to a diff difficult and harmful problem caused by the poor, poorly written and implemented California Voting Rights Act is a testament to the council members' diligence and transparency, transparency shown throughout the process. The process that has allowed the, for public input and involvement gave RSM residents an opportunity to provide feedback to the city on what they felt was important. By adopting Map 113 with four districts and a mayor at large, you have given each RSM resident the best outcome in the face of an unfair situation. Since RSM is a member of the League of Cities, I continue to encourage you to move to form an alliance to oppose the poorly written and implemented California Voting Rights Act. 
which is both harmful and destructive to minorities, special needs populations, as well as general voting public. In addition, the cities like cities like Santa Monica, Santa Monica prevail in their fight against instituting this misapplication of the district election voting system. I urge city council members to reverse the use of the district election system in RSM and return to the at-large election system. This would allow the RSM voting public to regain the most fair, transparent, and representative governance election system for all RSM voting public. Thank you for your dedication to our community. B Betty Remington says, even though I oppose the redistricting in the city of RSM, I support the adoption of Map 113 with four districts and a mayor at large. Thank you. Russ Corey says, although I am opposed to redistricting voting, I'm in favor of Map 113. Kelly Lundberg, I support the adoption of Map 113 with four districts and a mayor at large. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Kevin Shaw says, the decision to select a redistricting map that meets required regulations clearly rests with the city's elected council members. Despite my opposition to such drastic changes to our governance, I was impressed by the methodology used to select a map from among several alternatives submitted by RSM respondents. Following several public meetings, each council member unanimously voted on the merits of their selection and reasoning for their decision. I, for one, respect and support the council's decision and hope that others will follow suit. For those who insist on their preference, I would like to point out that no one can have everything they want. Let us set aside our personal ambitions, whatever they may be, and allow the city to direct its energy and resources towards constructive goals that will benefit us all. Rhonda Lundberg says, although I'm opposed to redistricting in the city of Rancho Santa Margarita, I support the city councils in choosing Map 113 with four districts and a mayor at large. This gives RSM voter, allows that voter to have two voting opportunities with voting for a council member in their district and the mayor at large. Allowing the community to, to participate ensures that the redistricting reflects the diverse needs and voices of our residents. By creating four districts, we are ensuring the residents' voices are heard at a more localized level. Additionally, having a mayor at large will provide a unifying perspective, promoting cooperation among districts and advocating for the greater interests of our city. Dan Lundberg says, although I am against the redistricting of the city of Rancho Santa Margarita, I understand why the city council must move forward to adopt Ordinance 23-02. I support the city council in this decision. I support map 113, which gives RSM voters two voting opportunities with the four districts and a mayor at large. Thank you. We also have a public speaker, Chris McLaughlin. Good evening, mayor, city council. I'm glad Dr. Levitt's here um, to answer questions. Hello. Um, so uh, uh, my one question uh, still, um, and I'm hearing from the community, uh, all the speakers tonight or e-commenters, 
that they like Mapboard in 13, uh, mostly because it has a four plus one format. And that's about it. Uh, when you question um, the demographer about the legality of the map, all I'm hearing is it doesn't divide any sub HOAs, so therefore it's legal. Um, the Fair Maps Act doesn't mention sub HOAs, it mentions neighborhoods. And I think we've talked enough about neighborhoods and the fact that you're not respecting the uh, geographic integrity of uh, school districts, uh, elementary school boundaries, water districts, zip codes, um, what Sam Lark calls paint villages. Um, so that's, I think we beat that one to a dead horse. The other one I wanted to mention was uh, subparagraph three um, <clears throat> in the Fair Maps Act. Uh, it says that uh, the uh, boundaries need to be easily identifiable. And I'm looking at the actual map uh, as submitted. And it, I, I would challenge anyone on city council to identify the boundaries of our districts by looking at the map. It's not a trick question. The problem is they're not labeled. They're not labeled because they're not major streets. Uh, a good map like 112, you can see it has four elements, O'Neill Park, uh, Santa Margarita Parkway, the 241, and Plano Tribuco Road. Map 113, the one you're enacting tonight, uh, seriously, can anyone know what these roads are? I had to look them up on Google Maps. That's the definition of not easily identifiable. If you're gonna submit this to the registrar, I'm pretty sure he's gonna reject it and say, uh, can you label all the streets? They're not on here. Uh, how do you possibly defend this and that's the other thing I hear from the demographer. It's not legal, it's defensible. I mean, I think if you pay him, he'll come to your court date and explain this. So that's my one question. And by the way, I talked to the assembly office and they gave me the background on the bill. In the original assembly bill, there was a requirement to have cities publish the criteria on how they justify their map as meeting the criteria. That's no longer part of the final law because the state senate put it out. But that's very important for you to have a very good answer for, for when a judge asks you, how does this make it legal? I hope it's not, it doesn't split HOAs because that's not really adequate. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Any other comments from the uh, public? There are none. No? Thank you. We'll close the public hearing. Any other council discussion or questions of staff? Councilmember Beal. Uh, th thank you, Mr. Mayor. I would just point out um, on the record in all, all of our prior meetings regarding this, our open public meetings, I think our city council members our staff and our retained experts have explained in great detail and at length the rationale supporting um, the maps that, in particular, map 113 that has been selected and how and why it makes sense. So I would just take issue with the, um, some of the statements made by our public speaker uh, tonight. I just don't think those are based in reality and they're contrary to what's already on the record at length and in detail in our prior meetings. Thank you. I just wanna add that I'm very impressed by the process that uh, was undertaken here by our staff and um, all the information they provided us and the information that we received from the public. We're very appreciative of that. 
Um, that being said, um, oh, I'm sorry. Councilmember Figueroa, um, my fault. I was just going to, Mr. Mayor, just comment on the same thing. You know, um, this was not on any of the project to-do lists for the city for 2023. And, uh, of course, when this process was mandated, and started, um, city staff really had to change directions, um, put some things on the back burner, unfortunately. Um, took many, many hours of staff time. Um, and of course, uh, there was a process of, of learning about what we were gonna be undertaking as well. So I just wanted to give a big shout out to, to everybody, to the entire city staff. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Beal. Uh, since we have our expert present in the house tonight, for the benefit in particular of our public speaker tonight, but just once again to put on the record, I think it might be advisable to request that he explain uh, the basis by which map 113 was selected and why it does make sense under the requirements that we are um, needing to follow. Okay. So Mayor, I would recommend that you reopen the public hearing to take additional testimony from the expert and when he's done, close the public hearing. Okay. Public hearing is reopened. Dr. Levitt. Well, um, good evening, uh, Mayor Holloway and members of the council. Um, my name is Dr. Justin Levitt. It's a pleasure to be back here tonight. Um, so um, I can, what I want to speak to, I guess, is um, primarily the legal basis for map 113. Um, and I have to start by saying that map 13 was neither drawn by us as your consultants or by the city. It's a map that was submitted by a resident of your community. Um, and that's really the starting point. This is how a member of your community saw the neighborhoods and communities of interest in their opinion. Um, now, when it comes to evaluating the legal criteria under which every map must comply, in order for me to say that it is, and I did say, well, didn't just say it was defensible, I said it was legally defensible for a reason, because, you know, courts can do whatever, sometimes really random things, but... I do believe it is a legal map. And the rationale for that is starts with the fact that we have a rank-ordered list of criteria in the Fair Maps Act that we have to comply with. The first criterion is that it must be equal population. And that is the constraint set in Larios v. Cox, um, court decision from the mid-2000s, a maximum 10% deviation. Um, this plan certainly meets that fundamental fact. And that really does set up a lot of our basis for the trade-offs that we have to make in districting. Our second priority is following the requirements of the Federal Voting Rights Act. And race and ethnicity does not seem to be the primary consideration of the lines, and nor does it infringe the right of protected class communities to offer an opportunity to elect. And then we get into those Fair Maps Act criteria. The first one, contiguity. It has one outside boundary, uh, it meets that criterion. And then right after that is our neighborhoods and communities of interest. And remember, this one is above easily identifiable boundaries. This one is before compactness. So we're not looking at compactness or boundaries before we consider neighborhoods and communities of interest. And neighborhoods and communities of interest is perhaps where even the people who wrote the Fair Maps Act will acknowledge offers a lot of opportunity for disagreement, for debate, for consideration of different maps. And certainly throughout the process, we have heard different interpretations of communities of interest. 
Um, there's no rule in the Fair Maps Act that one specific thing must be considered. We have to go off of what we hear from residents of the city, from what the council requests, from how, from especially when we have mapping tools like the city did. Where do people self-identify their community of interest boundaries? And really that's the starting point for looking at neighborhoods and communities of interest. Uh, very early on it was clear uh, from multiple comments that the sub-HOAs were a very important component of the city's identity, particularly in the Sam Lark portion of the city, and that the large HOAs in the eastern, or sorry, yeah, eastern area of the city were also units that needed to be kept together. Um, now, school district is a really interesting one, and so are these other criteria, the paint districts, and you know, if we look at the different maps, we see various interpretations of this. I don't think there's a single map out there that keeps all of those paint neighborhoods together. In fact, map 112 divides the town center neighborhood. Um, and so looking at trade-offs and how we have to balance these different communities of interest that we hear about really offers us an opportunity to see what we, you know, to look at the different options and for the council to exercise its right of discretion to interpret that and explain why they picked the communities of interest that they did in the maps. Um, and so, you know, I know there is no perfect map. There is no one map that will satisfy everyone. But that issue of communities of interest and particularly um, that process of coming to the best or what the council identifies as the best, there is a wide range for council discretion on that question. Uh, and so that's why we gave a recommendation that we believe that the map is legal or legally defensible. Um, and I use them interchangeably because, well, most lawyers say, don't just say it's legal because that get you in trouble. But I'm happy to say that tonight if that's what we need to hear. Um, so that's what I would offer as kind of an outline of why, what we analyze the maps for. Um, and I'm happy to address any other questions you may have. Thank you, Dr. Levitt. Any other questions or comments? Well, thank you. Also, I just wanted to say, Doctor, that um, throughout this process, many times have you been asked um, about the legality of the maps that have worked their way forward. And based on all the information that we have that's been provided by professionals, um, it's very similar to the information we had that caused us to go to district voting. We're trying to avoid lawsuits at, you know, not necessarily the most popular decision for us, but that was the smartest thing to do based on um, the information that we have, which is exactly like this situation. We're basing this decision on Map 113 um, from personal opinion that it's legal. It's, it's the same process we, we walk through and we always go back to process. I, I, I feel very good about the process here and appreciate the time and energy that yourself and city attorney's office and city managers spent on this issue. Thank you very much. Close the public hearing. Mayor Holloway, we have one more speaker. Two times I've done this. I will reopen the public hearing. Mr. Rick Hurd, my apologies, please come up. And it was right in front of me. Hello, everyone. Rick Hurd here. I've heard some concerns about the legality of the map that the city has chosen. Um, and I heard some discussion about the assembly as well. 
Now, I was looking at the, our, the map of our assembly district, and that map is apparently legal. And as far as I can see, we have a mountain range between us and the city of Temecula, which is also in that uh, map, perfectly legal map. State Senate, if I see those maps correctly and understand our state Senate boundaries, that uh, we have Oceanside in with us as well. I've looked at many maps. They zig and they zag all over the place. And when I look at the maps here that the city chose, they look much, much better than that. So I would say when comparing our maps with the standard, of which is apparently legal, our maps pass with flying colors. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Any other public speakers before yeah. I close it again? I will close the public hearing. Um, at this point, we, um, we need to read the ordinance, Greg, or just entertain a motion. Um, I'll move that we approve for second reading and adopt ordinance number 23-02 as set forth in our staff report. We have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second that. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Oppose. Motion carries unanimously. Thank you for all of you that have been involved in this process. Item six, continued item 6.1, approval of proposed amendment to number two to the professional service agreement with Glenn A. Rick Engineering and De Development Company for Professional Civil Engineering and Landscaping Architectural Design Consulting Services related to the Antonio Parkway Gateway Improvements Project and design review for the Antonio Parkway Gateway Improvements Project. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off really quickly here. We are, um, this should be the final time that we come back to the council before we have plans and specifications that go out uh, for public bid. And so there's two items tonight, and I've invited uh, Tree Wynn, our acting city engineer. He's our principal engineer normally, um, but with our, our vacancy at the moment, he's our acting city engineer. Uh, in our public works department, and he's going to be making a presentation, but there's actually two actions tonight. One is related to uh, a, an addition to the contract with Rick Engineering, and the other is to uh, obtain feedback for final design on the parkway. We, we did not address that the last time we were here, and that was uh, staff's uh, fault in not bringing that forward. I think there was a misunderstanding of what was expected, but we are bringing that forward so that we have all three components in final design. So with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Wynn. Thank you, Ms. City Manager. Good evening, Honorable Mayor, members of the City Council. I'm Trey Nguyen, Acting City Engineer with the Public Works Department. And tonight before you is a presentation on the Antonio Parkway Gateway Improvements Project. All right. Oh, there you go. The project consists of three major components, the gateway monument, the median, as well as the parkway. And I apologize for that. <laughs> and to provide you with the brief timeline on the design review process, the city council reviewed this project on four separate occasions within 2022, at which time a design concept was approved. The item was brought back before the city council in August of 2023 due to budgetary concerns. At that time, we reviewed the Gateway Monument, 
as well as the median and the city council elected to eliminate the tree uplighting within the median as well as to maintain a three-foot decorative section around the median landscaping in order to maintain consistency with the existing median on Antonio Parkway. So before we get into the concept, I thought it was important to show the city council the entire project. So from top to bottom on the left side of your screen is the elevation views for the gateway monument, the median, as well as the parkway. And then on the right side is the aerial view of the gateway monument. And on the bottom is the aerial view of the parkway and the median. So the parkway consists of four main design features, the stone veneer pilaster, the woodcrete split rail fencing, the pilaster uplighting, as well as planting and irrigation. On the right side of your screen, you will notice uh, the area highlighted in orange is where the proposed split rail fencing will be installed. The area highlighted in blue, there will be no split rail fencing and the reason for that is there is the water district's reservoirs there. So in order to comply with the city's municipal code on driveway visibility, we are proposing not to put split row fencing in that section. So based upon the four main design features that we just discussed, on the top table, you're provided with hard construction costs. These only include the physical construction costs. On the bottom table, you are provided with various scenarios uh, which the city council may elect to choose. And with that, we also provide the contingency soft costs such as inspection, material testing, and administration. And then on the right side of the table is the total project cost. And those correlate with the various scenarios for which the city council may elect to choose. And with that, the recommendation before the City Council tonight is to provide input and direction as necessary to authorize the completion of the parkway final design based upon the input received tonight, as well as to approve amendment number two to the contract with Rick Engineering so that they can complete the design phase. And that concludes my presentation. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you, I'll start from my right. Council Member Beal. Thank you for your presentation. On the slide where you showed the anticipated project schedule, the last notation is March, April of 2024, construction begins. How long do we anticipate actual construction to take? When are we targeting this would be completed? Uh, at this time, the design is not 100% complete, but we anticipate between four to eight months um, once at present time we've halted the designer from moving forward until we can figure out exactly what's going to be uh, included within the project. But we expect about four to eight months. Okay, thank you. So the design, we're still working through that process. Um, this, on the slide just before the numbers, it shows, for example, a picture of the Wood Creek split rail fence, which is very nice. But I don't recall if we've spoken relative to like colors of the fence. Is that something that we're still going to have an opportunity to, to discuss? The, the color of the fence was not discussed. I will say that within the, there's a Samlark master document for landscaping, which shows the uh, 
the split rail fencing. So at present, the, the idea was to somewhat match this master plan that was created. I would just point out, I believe that there's similar fencing just outside our city boundary um, to, on the way to like Ladera Ranch. I think their fence is of white color, so it may be worth some discussion about what color that is. But those are my okay. questions. Thanks for your presentation. Thank, Thank you. you. Council Member Figueroa. Um, nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, Quick question, I just wanted to go over the budget. Um, the total budget anticipated for this project is, is still at 1.8 um, million. Um, the general fund amount of $40,000, I know we have gas tax funds, measure M funds, um, RMRA funds um, for the majority of the project. Are we anticipating the general fund, this might be a city manager question, um, to only be 40000 or does the additional design cost going to be reflected in that number as well? At, at the latest meeting, uh, the city council elected to uh, proceed with the Gateway Monument. So at this time, the expectation is that we will take that project out to bid, and then once the costs come in, we will then come back to the city council to present those costs. The engineer's revised estimate on that was approximately 800000 so that's what we're anticipating the construction costs will come in at, and then we would ask for a CIP budget amendment at that time for general funds for the Gateway Monument. As far as the parkway, that's um, a shelf-ready project for a future year. Okay. Thank you very much. Councilmember McGurr. I think, uh, by the way, thank you, uh, Mr. Nguyen, and welcome to Rancho Santa Margarita. Thank you. Appreciate your presentation. I, I think uh, Councilmember Figueroa took the, the words out of my mouth. I just wanted to clarify for those who might be listening. This is uh, the parkway uh, improvement is something that we're deferring beyond the next fiscal year, if I recall correctly. Is that right, uh, Ms. City Manager? It, it, with respect to the conversation during the CIP development, it was uh, deferred until a previous uh, time period. Depending on the input that we received tonight, uh, we could continue to defer that to a, a future time, or depending on what options are chosen, we might be able to incorporate that or put that out to bid uh, simultaneously or subsequently to the other two components. All right. and and. Uh We'll determine that as the night goes on, I suppose. But uh, when we talk about the uh, the timeline, the construction timeline of March or April of 2024, at the very minimum, that would be the monument and the median. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And I and I apologize, Mr. Wynn. I keep looking over to the city manager because no I know worries. this is the first time you've stood in front of us, and I don't want to I don't want to start peppering you with a lot of these questions that may, you probably know the answer to, but I just want to to help you out a little bit on that. But Okay, so we're still going to discuss whether or not the parkway improvement project is going to be part of this March-April slash um, construction. Uh, right. At a very minimum, we would like to uh, have Rick Engineering finalize the design of the parkway. Right. Depending on what final design the council chooses would determine the availability to either move that forward or continue to defer that to some unknown time. All right, so assuming that that gets approved um, for Rick um, to uh, continue with the design, we'll be meeting at a later date to discuss whether or not that would include the construction in March or April of the parkway aspect of the entire Antonio Gateway project. 
Is that fair? I, it, it could happen tonight, depending on which options are chosen. I mean, I can tell you if the council wanted to consider the first option there, the fencing, the pilaster, the uplighting, the planning, and the irrigation at 1.5, that currently is not, that amount of, of funds is not available in our CIP. Uh, if the council wanted to go with, say, fencing and planning and irrigation, we might be able to put that out on the street uh, either simultaneously or very shortly after the other two components and see what kinds of bids we get and, and work that in. Great. That clarifies it for me. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Mayor very much mr mayor welcome it's nice to nice to hear from you nice to meet you here tonight thank you so i'm looking at the um don't worry about it oh everyone, yeah everyone has that happen to them at least once with the phone I apologize yeah, I, it's on no, vibrate no actually too no so worries. the alarms the alarms don't do it so. yeah, yeah well welcome to my hell I, I i really i feel your pain so when i looked at this project i was uh thinking colleagues that it would be helpful to have Rick Engineering complete all of the design documents for the project and then take those elements that we um, decided uh, were the primary elements, which the monument sign and the, the median, um, because certainly of their relationship between the two, and have that as a primary bid package, and then use the parkway improvements as a, a, an ad alternate to that. So there's some economy to be had when, a con when contractors come and they you know, set up. And I know, Anne, you're very familiar with this. You've mobilized one time, and you know, there could be an economy from that. And uh, I think it would be helpful for us to get those numbers at that time and then have the option. You know, then staff comes back to us with the, the uh, results of the bid, and then we could make a determination whether we would like to move forward with the parkway or defer that to some later point in time. But I think having uh, the, uh, all the, the uh, design documents done by Rick Engineering at this time gives us this maximum flexibility. So if that is amenable to the council, then we need to take a look at the parkway. Which, this is what I'm, what I'm interpreting. I, you're smiling at me. So, I, you're thinking I'm on the right right track, right? We're um, that we need to make some determination of what we would like to do with the parkway improvements, and then give direction so that when Rick Engineering does their design, they're designing it to our our specifications. So I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to move toward that. So when I look at this drawing, this one, I don't know if you can put that back up. When we first discussed the split rail fence, the Woodcrete split rail fence, I actually thought it was only going down one side of the parkway. In fact, to this moment, I only thought it was going down the side that's toward to Harris Creek, you know, where it just sort of is this big patch of dirt that's on that side, and then it falls off down into the ravine. And I thought, having the fence on one side was beautiful because we'd have the, the hill that comes down to the sidewalk, then the street, and then we'd have the split rail fence on one side. So I wasn't familiar with it going uh, down both sides of that street. And that would be the only place where that would be. And so I, I then I see now that that fence will stop and start for no um, 
no discernible reason to those that are driving down the parkway. We understand why we've done it, but you know, from a a, a, a look, um, it looks like we either forgot to put the fence there, or we're going to put the fence there, but we haven't gotten around to it yet, or you know, we ran out of material or something like that. So I'm I'm proposing uh, the fence be only on the to Harris Creek golf cart golf course side and maintain the Woodcrete split rail fence on that side. And um, so it's sort of a derivation of your budget. And I think we need some um, remediated planting on the opposite side of the parkway where the monument will be in what has become patches of, of dirt and uh, no discernible ground cover. And so that that green space would go to the sidewalk on the the monument side and then the fence on the to Harris Creek side. So that's my proposal. So it's the pricing isn't quite what's in the chart because I'm only proposing fencing on one half, you know, I should say maybe two thirds of that space and enhanced planting on the side that receives no fence. Could, could I ask, did you intend for planting and irrigation to be on the Tejeras Creek side with the Wood Creek fencing? You know, I was I was kind of thinking in my mind how to save money. This isn't a hill I'm going to die on, but I was thinking what would look good there. And I kind of like the look of just decompo decomposed granite mm. and the fence because it's so hard to grow something in these areas. As we've seen with the the um, Alicia T. Monument, we, we, we're trying to get four pots, four pots, and, you know, have a plant in, I know, Cheryl's laughing, we have, a, we have plants in four pots. Never in the, the time since that thing has been done have we had four plants that are at the same, you know, size, they're not growing together, one dies, so we have three pots. I, I'm looking now, there's one gorgeous one as you're driving toward Mission Viejo, and then there's one that looks like it's dying, and so we're tr we're just trying to put four plants in a pot, you know, and that you can't you can't get that type of uh, uniform um, planting. So I'm not a big fan of putting anything over there, nor any irrigation on that side of the street. I think it needs a, a clean look, and I think the fence. Um, actually, Tony, I hate to disagree with you. I like the fence and the color of the wood um, because I think it gives Rancho a a definition that is different than our neighbor for that reason. And I think it goes really well with the, the stone pilaster. If I, Mr. Mayor, if I may just add something on top of that. Please, just go we're ahead. talking about it. The fencing at the Harris Creek Golf Course is also that brown wood look. Um, so just keep that in mind. Thank you for that. I, I just mentioned, I don't recall ever having a conversation regarding color, and it just no, caught didn't. my eye tonight. That's the first time I saw the brown, yeah, so that's cool. why I mentioned it. I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, and I acknowledge that I recall the color of fencing in our city is that. May I did, also ask? Did we always have fencing on the side of the... Of the I, we did. We did. 
We did. We okay. did. It may not have been called out appropriately or... or uh, I never abundant. saw it on a drawing, so yeah. that's... So, uh, yeah. Our apologies for that. Okay. Uh, clear, point of clarification, if I may. Um, you mentioned the pilasters, so the idea would still be to include the pilasters with the Wood Creek fencing along the side of Teharis Creek. Mm -hmm. Okay, just wanted to, to make sure. Yeah, I think it's a lovely frame for the whole thing. We've I'm sorry. We've included pilasters in the median. Is that we, we're not? No. no. They have been removed from the median. Right. So in moving forward with um, Mayor Pro Tem's recommendation, we need some more conversation from the council. So, correct me if I'm wrong. The discussion of the Teharis Creek Golf side, we had that discussion, but I'll be honest, I don't remember. It's been a while about whether or not we wanted to improve that area. As of now, we don't have a plan. That's why you're bringing this up, correct? Is that fair to say? The, there was always a plan to have a parkway along that side. It's just we had removed it from the CIP right. or deferred it until a future time. Um, but in order, since we have our designer working on the final plans and specifications, it would be prudent to have them work on this and finalize that as well. Make it shelf ready. From, from a time frame standpoint, how much of a delay would that There would be no additional delay. delay. I think they're really, they were at what percentage before this? They're currently at 90% right now. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right, and, so, and and if we're removing something, that's much easier than adding, you know, flourishes and pots and all sorts of things. So it would not be uh, very much effort uh, to remove any items that the council may wish to remove. Okay, are there any objections to the mayor pro tem's request? Um, Mr. Mayor, um, I just want to clarify the mayor pro tem's um, uh, suggestions. So, so you are suggesting that we just do the fencing on the Terrace Creek side mm -hmm. at this point in time to include in the the project design. Mm -hmm. Okay. With the pilasters and okay, um, and and you're not interested in including the other side just due to keeping the project costs. Well, and I also think we have that section where we we are now learning tonight for the first time we can't put it the entrance to the water tower. Right. So we have it interrupted section mm -hmm. but I, I think that section really needs some additional landscaping mm -hmm. you know that brings whether it's some sort of decorative ground cover or something you know along that side because it's just it's just dirt and weeds and you know not really weeds but you know it's just natural natural turf and I think that would look really pretty if it had some new turf even color once in a while a random bougainvillea so I that hill comes down. Yeah, and Mayor Pro Tem, I, I, I do like your suggestions about combining projects uh, for economies of scale. That's obviously um, important if if you can can do that budget wise. So um, I would agree with you on that, and I also agree with you that any additional landscaping cost wise that we can do on the the other side mm -hmm. um, where where the water tower is, um, where our monument sign is going to be, I, I think you know it'd be nice to look into as well. So I'm I'm amenable. May, may I ask that's one? High, that's high praise because Anne actually does this professionally. She does, yes. Uh, one other point of clarification uh, is that at the last meeting when we discussed this, the council, uh, the consensus was to remove the uplighting in the median. And I'm asking, is that the intention to remove the uplighting from the pilasters in the parkway? 
Well, I, I, I just want to get the full picture <laughs> so we don't, we don't have to add another orange box and come back again. The uplighting there on the side was always in the plan, correct, that we've discussed previously? It, ha new it had been, tonight. correct, yes. It's not a new addition. I recall the reason why we objected and ultimately removed it from the median is because none of the other medians that are landscaped in the city have it. So I, I know why we have done what we've done to date. I think if we felt the need at the time, we probably would have spoke up and removed it from the, the side of the street as well. We did not discuss the parkway in any detail at the last meeting, so it wasn't a point of discussion. So I, I wouldn't take the non-removal of it as complicit in wanting the uplighting. It was just not a discussed item with respect to the parkway. So we need to discuss that item. We need to discuss, need to discuss, that, discuss item, that item, yes. It's $400,000, right? Uh, it is uh, uplighting four hundred thousand dollars. Yes, you are correct. If I may, Mr. Mayor, if I may, I just if we're not going to do it in the median, I think it would look kind of odd just doing it out on the side, and we have an opportunity to save four hundred thousand dollars. I think uh, I, I would lean towards not having any uplighting, Mr. Mayor. Um, I'm just. Thinking any place where we have a sign or pilasters connected to fences in our city, it seems I'm thinking like near the um, the gateway sign that we already have. I think those are lit. I don't know that we have pilasters anywhere in the city that aren't lit. Well, that's part of the that's part of the monument. I think I don't think there would. What about across the street? Aren't those corners lit? Are you speaking of the uh, the small entry monuments? Our our entry monument signs are certainly up are lit this, at night. They they are they're solar lit, um, if that makes any difference. Uh, so they're not hardwired, um, which does change costs. Uh, I don't know how feasible it would be to. Uh, do you remember, uh, Mr. Wynn, how much, how many pilasters there are? The pilasters, as currently proposed, is at 40 feet on center. So there's 3,000 feet of um, of fencing. So I guess I'll just uh, is that do total something. fencing, or is that just on the Antonio Parkway? There would be, um, or I mean, on the uh, to Harris Creek side. There would, altogether, there's approximately 4,500 feet of fencing with about 20. 800 of that being on the Tears Creek side and at 40 feet on center, so 10, like 70 pilasters approximately. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for context, uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's if the council would like uplighting or we can bring forth some uplighting options or, or not, we, we can work with whatever direction the council provides us on lighting. Um, City Manager, could you? Um, sorry, Mr. Mayor. No, go ahead. Um, the median that we are talking about building was that going to be the same size as the medians? You know, farther north of that. I remember we talked about that. I just want clarification. Uh, the the I I know that we 
decided we wanted the uh, was it the three feet of decorative concrete on each side the the terracotta the, concrete. it was bigger correct I, I, you know I don't I don't do you remember if it's bigger or the, not if I may we, we did reduce it we reduced it to two feet we did reduce it to two feet I, I'm sorry Mike. make it consistent with the other medians throughout the okay scene. there you go I, okay, so. I believe it is three feet, council member, and um, I, I believe there's three squares on Antonio Parkway right now, just, just for clarification. Uh, we can go back and listen. I, I remember reducing it. Um, we were, there were two options. One was to, to have a wider concrete uh, uh, foot, mm -hmm. if you will, and then, well, and then I thought it was reduced. We we can go back and review that. I, I apologize. I don't remember at the tonight what what that was, but I know that we have it on record, and we will be consistent <laughs> with whatever the council directed at the last meeting. Um, my, my opinion in terms of the parkway is, you know, I don't think we need lighting there. So, my earlier comments, which I think I was the only one who felt that way. Um, was to put the lighting in the median. I know everybody said, well, we don't have median lighting anywhere else, but this is, you know, a different location, um, entrance to the city. So, listen, I, I love lighting. Lighting is is really everything. I mean, it's like my number one important thing in, in doing a design project. So, um, but in terms of on the parkway, I, I really think that it's unnecessary um, because of its location. And then when you're looking at the cost of it, um, but if it's something that we can, you, you said, um, City Manager, we can get some different options maybe on that, that we can. We, we could. We could put in, I'm, I'm assuming we could do some alt-bid options if we needed to. Uh, yes, definitely. For what, lighting on the median or lighting on no, the... Just on the parkway. On the parkway. On the pilasters. On the pilasters, yeah, correct. Walking over the um, and and our our city our city clerk uh, looked up the the decision from the she looked up the minutes from Already? the last meeting. Yeah. Already. And, and, and she she wrote she wrote median equals three feet stamped concrete. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, now that we're discussing it, and I know we're going far afield of what is on the agenda item. Um, I was also always in favor of the lighting in the median as well, and I think there was a dispute on that. We decided not to do it because no other no other median in the city has lighting. But I I, I agree with Councilmember Figueroa. I think lighting on the even though no other uh, median in the city has lighting, I think it would be beautiful, particularly with the monument right there as you come through, to have intermittent lighting on some of these trees coming through. But I just throw that out there. You know, Rick Engineering can always give us a bid if need be on that. But I throw that out there. I, I, I agree with her. I think lighting is really important. I think lighting is probably one of the more important things that we do when it comes to something like that's decorative like this to make the city look good. But again, I recognize we have no other mediums that have lighting. We don't also don't have any other mediums that happen to be the entrance to the city on Antonio coming through. So um, I just throw that out there. So as you drive down Antonio, you'll have uplighting of trees, and then it stops. Well, it stops anyway. It stops at uh, at um, Cañada Vista Park. There's no more median. You're right. Then it starts up again after that, and there's no there's no, there's lighting. no lighting. Right, right. There's no lighting in the median coming from Alicia into the city. There's no lighting in the median coming down San Margarita Parkway to the city. Uplighting of the trees. 
True. So we'll have, you know. All right. I look at we're just discussing. A couple things, thousand so. feet of median that's uplit and then it stops. It's almost like the fence that stops and starts on one side. It's the incongruity of it. Oh, without a doubt, it's much more beautiful. But either we're going to light it all or we're going to light none of it, in my opinion. The um, uplighting $400,000 line item, that's for, remind me again, is that for uplighting on the whole project? No. Just the... It would just be the uplighting on the pilasters on the parkway on the Tejeras Creek side. The uplighting for the monument is somewhere else then. The uplighting for the monument is in the monument section of the project. Okay. Okay. And then there was no uplighting uh, recommended for the median. Personally, I, the, I go back to what Brad said earlier, it's hard to spend $400,000 on uplighting. There's a, there's a, it, when you see the monuments and you see the uplighting, it's striking. There's no doubt about it. Um, it would be difficult for me to vote for uplighting on the parkways. If we were going to provide uplighting, we'd certainly look at solar options. Um, but, you know, it, it's certainly, it, because if you're talking about ambiance, is really what it is here, versus safety, correct? There's no safety issue here. No, I want to make sure legally there's no safety no, issue here. No, the street here. is constructed according to right. all of the, uh, the, the, the standards. So not just at the pleasure of the eye. Um, uplighting in the medians is more people would see that, I think. But we're kind of, um, I just like to see other uplighting cost options. Solar. I mean, there's a, there aren't really any other options. I, I like uplight. It's beautiful, but not at $400,000. Council member. So uh, I'm supportive of having them lit. I think, as was mentioned, it would it'd be beautiful. I do think there's a safety element. That's not to suggest the street is somehow unsafe, but um, there are pedestrians that walk along there, and at night, you know, it's nice to just have some illumination to see in front of you. Um, and it also outlines um, the outskirts of that road for drivers. So I'm open to it. I'm assuming that this cost is for regular full voltage lighting. And there are other options that we might be able to consider, such as low voltage lighting. Wouldn't that be a, a possibility? Um, I, that's not something that I uh, can answer right now. But I presume what you're saying is correct. So when you, the city manager mentioned maybe we should look at some options, perhaps the cost in this proposed budget could be brought down with a different lighting option. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind uh, seeing what those options might be. Yeah, I would agree with that. But let's, let's stay with the legal issue, the safety thing, for a second here. Because that's a game changer. If, if city attorney says there's a legal issue here with the lighting one way or another, then it makes the decision easier. So could you address this, Greg, for a second? There's no legal issue here. You can light A safety it. issue? No, none whatsoever. Okay. All right, thank you. So everybody had a chance to speak? No, this is open for them. Go ahead. Uh, quick question. In the uh, uplighting... Um, charge of 400000 does that include cutting and patching of the street? Yes, it does. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs>
cutting and patching the street because it's the only reason if we got rid of planting there's no reason to go across the street you know for any conduit or jacking so what i think i'm hearing is the up and the uplighting issue is that we receive some other options for cost reduction on uplighting so far so good Does that meet the council's expectation at the moment as far as uplighting do you want to do you want to put this out as an ad alternate and then have an ad alternate for uplighting within that? I think that might be what you're saying. I, I'm, I, don't, I couldn't give you the written definition of ad. I don't okay. do that. Uh, like an optional, like an optional uh, shopping list, right? Is that different than what I said? Yeah. Would we be getting different yeah. bids for lower oh. costs? Or is it the same, what you're saying? I don't know. I said it the same, the different way. <laughs> I, I said, said, it, in, I said it in the language that he understands. Right? The, 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 well, I think the, he understood what I said. The, the, the two options really for the council, and, and I have a recommendation, but and my recommendation is to allow uh, through this action tonight for us to allow Rick Engineering to fi do complete final design with options for uplighting that would be put out to bid as an alternate bid item. And they could include a couple different options, and they could be a solar option, they could be a low voltage op in the option, they could be regular lighting. Uh, but to do it in that manner, because if you, the other way, which is not what I'm recommending, is we would go back and talk with Rick Engineering, they would do some more design work, we'd get some cost estimates, and then we would have to come back to the council for you to decide at that time. That will provide a delay to the project. And so I would recommend allowing us to work with the designer and coming up with options that they would put out to bid as alt alternate bid items. And then when the bids come in, the council could decide if they wanted one of those or none. Sounds reasonable, as described. Any other thoughts about that? So I think we've resolved just, the uplighting. The uplighting. Okay. I just have one thought. So if you go back to Rick and you tell them about solar lighting, all of the lights have to come on at the same time, and all of the lights have to go off at the same time, or else it's going to look ridiculous. So make that, make sure that that is a design criterion. Understood. So I just want to uh, re I just want to review and make sure we're, we're on the same page for the uh, direction is we are looking at fencing, pilaster, planting, and irrigation. For the parkway on the Antonio or on the Tejeras Creek side only, with alternate bid items related to uplighting. We don't need irrigation on the Tejeras Creek side. Oh, thank you. Right. Thank you for that clarification. You're yeah. correct. The irrigation would only be on the Chiquita Monument Ridge side. side, right? Yeah. Oh, Chiquita side. That's a good way. Okay. Say that again. Please. <laughs> You're testing me here. No. The uh, we would do a parkway with the the fencing, pilaster, alternate uplighting along the Tejeras Creek side, irrigation and landscaping on the Chiquita Ridge side, and uplighting is an alternate bid item to Harris Creek. And may I get clarification on the decomposed granite also? Is that on the Tejeras Creek side or uh, my, not? My idea was Tejeras Creek only. Decomposed and then granite? And nice, okay. you know, nice planting on the Chiquita Ridge side. Okay. Okay. 
Any other thoughts? The free is open for them. We're up. With sure. respect to the, the granite, one concern I might have is, uh, I suppose if they're smaller pebbles, it's not a, as big a deal, but those getting on the roadway causing broken windshields to get thrown up by cars, you know, maybe we should be looking at a, a sidewalk, you know, actual concrete. I think, there's, I the think there is a sidewalk on that maybe side of the street. Maybe enhanced wider sidewalk as opposed to dr- dump, dumping granite that could I'm, end I'm up I'm thinking on the DG road. is almost DG. like sand. Mm-hmm. It's like sand. There's no, there's there's no stones in it. Oh, okay. I was picturing. But, you know, you're, you would be right if it were pebbles now. No. Okay. Yeah. I assume that that is yes, less expensive than putting concrete. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like the Mayor Pro Tem's idea. Any other thoughts, comments? I think the city manager has everything she needs. Mm-hmm. We don't need to make any motions. Receive and file or whatever. Just, uh, no, oh, you move Pre- staff recommendation you wanna, tonight. That, so that, was yeah. there, there's a modified staff recommendation, and you've stated that, right? I stated the direction rela- relating to the parkway. We still have the item relating to the contract, the amendment for Rick Engineering. So if you wanted just to re- to move staff recommendation, including the decision points related to the parkway, that would be sufficient. I'll move the staff recommendation. And I'll second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Motion carries unanimously. Item 7, new business. We have none. Item 8, public comments. This is the time to address the city council on any matter not listed on this agenda that is within the subject matter jurisdiction of the city council. Do we have any public comments? There are none. We do not. Item 9, city manager report. Uh, I would just like to uh, recognize we have in the audience uh, Mr. Jim Ross, and he's going to be helping us out with some public works consulting over the next few uh, months. Uh, that was one of the items on the consent calendar this evening. So. Thank you. It's exciting that he we didn't scare him and, <laughs> and he left. <laughs> exciting <laughs> night for you, huh? Yeah. All right. Item 10, matters presented by the Mayor and City Council, 10-1. Um, OCFA, Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, at the uh, September 28th meeting, we did you know, sort of the regular and ordinary business of OCFA. We had a number of things taken off our agenda. So I thought tonight it might be interesting to report the September 2023 um, uh, traffic, we call it the traffic report. So in September of 2023, OCFA received 19,236 calls uh, pertaining to 14,560 incidents for an average of 485 incidents per day. Uh, That's a 6.9% increase from the previous year. Uh, And I think this is the most stunning and um, commendable part of the report. OCFA dispatched the appropriate response in an average of 66 seconds. And as always, uh, our firefighters work and save lives and property. So I'm very, so very proud of those statistics. And um, I continue to just uh, thank the men and women of OCFA for their heroism and uh, their dedication to their craft. Thank you very much. Thank you. Item 10-2, council member reports, starting from my right. Let's oh. figure out. Oh. 10-2. Um, well, I just wanted to say what a weekend. 
It was, and I'll let everybody that wants to to, to chime in too. It, it was just Rancho Family Fest was held this last weekend, and probably the hottest two days of the year. Um, sure but like what an event! Um, it was outstanding. Uh, first of all, a big shout out to Rancho Santa Margarita Chamber of Commerce. This was an event that literally took uh, a year of planning, um, all volunteer run, by the way, um, which is commendable in itself. Um, I think that they were anticipating close to 10,000 people this weekend. We're looking forward to hearing the numbers, but I think it's going to be about that number. And um, the Rancho Family Fest uh, committee um, was absolutely fabulous. Um, it was chaired by Josh Bastian and Jennifer Beald again this year, who did a fabulous job orchestrating it all. But um, the committee members, everybody was there from morning to night, about 12 hours, in 90-plus degree heat. And we had a massive amount of volunteers, and I know that... Uh, Councilmember McGurr's wife, Julie, took that on again as well, handling all the volunteers, which was a, a major undertaking as well to put on this type of event. Um, everything was just perfection, and um, our residents seemed so excited um, for the weekend and had a fantastic time. So I just want to thank everybody that was involved and uh, everybody that helped out because this event is not possible without a large amount of volunteers. So thank you to everybody. Thank you to the chamber. Thank you to the committee. Um, thank you to everybody for making it such a special weekend in Rancho. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Council Member McGurr, you're oh, writing. You thank you. Yes, I was writing things down. Thank you uh, very much. I would concur with everything that Council Member Figueroa had to say. R Rancho Fest, uh, again, the hottest two days of the year. I remember one year it rained, so you can never predict what's going to happen. But Rancho Fest was great. Many thanks to the Rancho Family Fest uh, committee, um, to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, to Congresswoman uh, Young Kim, Assemblywoman Kate Sanchez, uh, Don Wagner, Supervisor Don Wagner, and also the office of uh, Senator Blake Spear for coming on out as well. Um, it was a long weekend. I had zero trash from 9 a.m. to noon on Saturday morning, one of the hottest days of the year, and we had 52 people show up. And for those who um, aren't familiar uh, with, with who shows up for zero trash, we have now grown to the point where we have so many organizations, not just individuals, show up. We have assistines at Lion's Heart. We have various Boy Scout troops showing up, Cub Scout troops. Church groups, we had a Luther, the Lutheran Church here in uh, in town, sent a number of people to show up for that as well. So, on probably the hottest day of the year. So that's pretty. I think it's pretty neat that people would show up to con in, contribute in something like that uh, on the hottest day of the year. But yes, Rancho Family Fest was was great. It gets bigger and bigger and more and more successful every year. And um, we, it could not be done without the volunteers. I mean, and there are so many volunteers from across the city that take part in this, um, uh, not just people that live in Rancho. My wife actually was able to get some of her students from Saddleback College to come over. And, uh, and they don't speak English uh, as, a for, as their primary language. But um, all these volunteers were out there in 90-degree weather, and they worked so very hard. I'm not going to name names because there's too many of them, but many, many thanks to all of them who showed up because it could not, it could not go forward without the volunteers. Um, so another great Rancho Family Fest. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. So I'm going to uh, 
talk a little bit about Rancho Family Fest, and that is um, my my job was to be in the beer and wine tent, pouring beer and serving beer and wine, um, something I feel infinitely qualified to do. So uh, one of the things that people... So you you had an opportunity to really talk to all the people that came as you're taking their order and you're charging them. And so many people asked me, how can I be a volunteer for this next year? And they... um, And I really, I said, you know, you can go, you know, contact the Chamber of Commerce. So my suggestion is that um, if there's some, like, do you want to volunteer, a quick text that we can send. Not that we can incorporate them in the moment or in the current year, but that's the time that people really are excited and they'd like to be a part of it. So um, I think maybe some signage at that location where they're standing in line you know, hey, you want to volunteer next year? We're, re- we're recruiting today because they are, they're so excited. They are so happy. They're so appreciative of all the work that the Chamber of Commerce has done. And so they, they just want to be part of it, and I love that about them. And once again, it, it, it could not have happened without the hard work of all of those volunteers. There's got to be hundreds of them. And lastly, I do think well, one more thing. Um, I, I saw the chief on Sunday, and we talked a little bit about, you know, how how crowd control was going. And she said, without incident. So I also think we have to thank the residents and the people who come to this. They they love their community, and they work to make sure that um, there's no bad behavior or bad actors, and and that's really appreciated because we can do more of these things. Uh, for the community, if we know that the, the the attendees will be safe, and so I'm very uh, grateful to the people who attended. They had just a good old time, which is, I believe, what the intent was for this. And um, thank you very much to the chamber and and Brad and to you and your wife Julie and I know uh, Tony and Jennifer were in there and Ann uh, with with Dan and um, Mr. Mayor emceeing. I think it was. Just a wonderful all-hands-on event. Thank you very much. Thank you. In reference to Rancho Fest, it was go back to that phrase, never underestimate the heart of a volunteer. And really, the, I wasn't there on Saturday, but on Sunday, I just marveled at the organization of this event put on by volunteers who are there 100% to benefit the community. There is, there's, there's certainly not financial. That's why they're there. And so you... It, Unbelievable. I mean, all the things you've heard, um, I could just repeat the same things. It's an amazing event. Um, I don't think, it might have been the first two-day event where council members uh, were at. We didn't receive any complaints. I don't, usually we'll get a complaint or two. Not necessarily about just generally anything, you know. No one complained about how far they might have to walk from the parking lots um, and all that. And the business that, that were there certainly benefited by the, the the money that was spent um, by the residents to eat there. It was, it was outstanding. And lastly, um, Orange County Sheriff's Department released a video recently to the public uh, in reference to the shooting at Cook's Corner and for, for full transparency. So anybody that hasn't had an opportunity to see that, it's on, um, you just type in OCSD Cook's Corner. I'm sure it'll, it'll show up. Um, I don't know, it's pro- Chief's probably about 
10 or 15 minutes ish. Um, about 20 minutes and it's um, it's, a, it's 20 minutes well spent um, it will give you uh, a bird's eye view of exactly what these deputies experienced that day with their body cams and um, there was no language that was left out and these are people you know putting their lives on the line and this would you know I could go back to this two minute response time unheard of and there wasn't any, then they were all going into the shooter. Nobody was leaving. So, you, you know, you know, we hear about public safety and how much, you know, I see these articles about their overtime and this and that. And I said, you know what, you need to see this. You need to see this video. You have a problem with what public safety earns, watch this video. It's mind-boggling to see this. And, um, Chief, if you don't mind, just a minute on um, the reaction you're getting about this video that's out there publicly now? Is it, it's, I, I don't know that I've seen anything like this before. Is this a first for the Sheriff's Department, released at this level? Be, so soon? Um, requires us to release um, this, you know, any kind of major incidents like this and details of it within 45 days. And, um, and we, we did so positive reaction from our um, community. All the community members made positive comments um, and we wanted to be transparent and the Sheriff's Department provided that to the community. Mm -hmm. Very well made. Public safety is expensive, but there's a reason why it's expensive so that we can be here and do this and be safe. Um, so thanks for all that the men and women of the OCSD and OCFA who were there waiting to, when it was safe, so they could get in there and do what they do. A joint effort, it was tremendous. Um, and the, uh, you need to see it, I guess I'm speechless watching this thing. Um, amazing what your folks do. Thank you. The, this meeting is gonna be adjourned. The next regular meeting of the City Council will be held on Wednesday, October 25th, 2023 at 7 p.m. right here. Meeting adjourned.